dry. There was a kind of dryness in the air that had hung heavy over that small farming community for a while. Dryness in the air led to dryness in the soil, and it began to get dusty, and the soil began to crack apart from the lack of moisture. There was a heavy drought. It had been months since a single drop of rain had fallen. And this death by lack of water began to ravage the small farming community. First, it was the lack of water in the ponds. The animals began to suffer. The crops began to suffer. And the people began to suffer. The small only church in that tiny little town decided to hold a prayer service to pray. Maybe a better way to put it would be to beg God for moisture, for rain into the land. Everyone in the town and outside of town came from near and far to ask God to send some relief by way of rain. And as the people gathered, there was this scene as people are walking and people are getting out of their cars and beginning to amass at the tiny, small, rural church to do what they had come to do amongst the masses of people was a sign of hope, was a sign better, even more better than the sight of rain. It was this little boy who was walking alongside his mother carrying a giant green umbrella. It was a sight that embodied faith. It embodied not only the understanding and the belief that God could, but the knowing, the understanding that God absolutely would. Walking by faith is what we're going to talk about this year. the, The theme is faith. If you read it on the, on the sign, on the board, the banners, on the website, social media, you might think faithfully. But what I really want you to read it as is faith fully. Because when we say the word faith, sometimes we get a picture in our mind and we're going to be talking about not just faith, but the fullness of faith. That little boy didn't just have faith, he showed his faith. And that's what we're going to be centering on this whole year as we think about these two ideas. One, having faith in God. And two, living it out. Showing it, sharing it, letting it take hold of your life. So, open the umbrellas of your heart and uh, your um, uh, Bibles, if you have one, or open up your phone to Hebrews chapter 11, the verse that Brendan just read for you. As we go to Hebrews chapter 11, which is, of course, the place you go when you talk about faith. Because it's defined, many examples are given, and it's just a good foundational point as we think about this concept of faith, what it is and what it isn't. The scriptures say in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, this is page 1287 in the Pew Bible, if you don't know where Hebrews is. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, just as Brendan read for us, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. 
the conviction of things not seen. First, faith is really, at its core, an absolute trust in God. Faith is not an intellectual exercise. I mean, you can learn about faith, study faith, read the verses about it, but faith is a verb. It's meant to be done and meant to be acted upon. It's an act of total trust, as the ESV would say, assurance and conviction. And it's really not about your faith. Understand this, as we talk about faith, I want you to understand something. Faith has no power. I'll say it again, just because some of you weren't paying attention. Faith has no power. Brent, would you do me a favor? You're sitting there at the back. Would you bring me that chair, please? I forgot to bring it up to the stage earlier. This would be a huge help to me. Faith, you see, has no power in and of itself. It is simply the connection point. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. See, I can have all the faith that I want in this chair. I believe in that chair. I trust in that chair. I'm I'm absolutely convinced that this chair will get me through my life. But see, that chair is not going to do anything for me because that chair has no power. I can have all the faith in the world in the chair. That's not where the power lies. The power lies in what you have your faith in. Does that make sense? Faith has no power. It is what you have your faith in that has power. Now, we have faith in all sorts of things. We have faith from day to day. Um, uh, thinking about this. Uh, when I was younger, this is the olden days, back in the 80s, I can remember my mother telling me, never, ever get in the car with strangers. In the late 90s and early 2000s, the instruction was, be careful of the internet. Don't ever meet people online. Now, today, in 2020, I literally open up an Uber app when I want to go somewhere. I get on the internet, meet a stranger, and trust them to get in their car and take me where I intend to go. We have faith. Uh, The reason that that happens is because we have trust in the system. We have trust in what's there. When you choose to have faith, the object of your faith is way more important than your faith itself. This is why Jesus would say, you can have faith as a mustard seed and move a mountain. Right? Because it's not about the amount of faith you have. It's about the object of your faith. And of course, it's more than just chair. Brent, you can come get this for me. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your help. So may we remember that faith does not have power. It's what or who you have your faith in that gives faith the power. A small amount of faith in a very powerful thing will still yield great things. Faith is about once we choose to have faith and choose to put our faith in God, there's this moment, there's this this, this time when you have to take a leap. You've heard the term, the expression, a leap of faith. 
Several years ago, uh, the Levering family went to a very special place. And, uh, all, and you all have the opportunity to go there as well. And, and when we went to that special place, Tyler and I embarked and went to literally the coldest place on earth. Now, you may be thinking, what? Antarctica? What? North Pole? South Pole? No. The coldest place on earth known to man is the pool at Rock Springs Ranch for family camp. It is spring-fed. It's probably, I don't know, it's, it's just a hair above freezing. I mean, if you can see the, the ice crystals moving across, that's perfect. This is many years ago, and Tyler was very excited about going swimming. Much more excited than Dad. I don't remember exactly the age, but I do remember the moment because it reminded me so much of faith. Here's what happened. I got in the pool and instantly began to lose feeling in my lower legs. As I did, Tyler, young Tyler, who is still at the age of of learning to swim, not feeling completely comfortable in the water, was standing at the edge. Now, he wanted to be in the water with Dad, playing and splashing around. But in order to do that, he had to leave the security of the side of the pool. I appreciate Steve Tandy caught these moments. There was this moment of trust. When Tyler's at the pool's edge, and he knows that he has to leave the security of the edge of the pool and jump to get to into the unknown. But standing in the middle of the unknown is this very known and trustable factor, his dad. It's a bigger picture than is on the PowerPoint, but trust me, you don't want to see the whole picture, okay? This moment of trust. Then, the moment of action. The moment when Tyler begins to get past the point of no return. His legs are springing forward. At this point, his his body is acting in ways that he cannot undo. He is leaping forward. He is leaping, showing action into his father's arms. The reason he's doing that is because of faith. Do you understand? It's not a huge amount of faith. A a, a five-year-old who's just barely learning to swim doesn't have a lot of faith in his abilities to swim in a deep pool. But he does have great faith in his father who is standing in the pool and who knows how to swim and who's holding his arms out to catch him. Now, the beautiful part in addition to trust and action, there is this third component, the stage of absolute joy. When Tyler is between the security of the side of the pool and the security of his father's arms, and this is the picture I have when we think about faith fully. Walking by faith and not by sight does not mean that we walk blindly. It means that we walk in a different way. It means that we live in a different way with absolute eager joy and expectation and trust in our Father. That is a precious picture. I will forever hold it in my heart. And um, it will be a milestone moment for me as a dad to, be, to remember how, how much our children trust us. And how wounded they are when that trust is broken.
Now, as beautiful of a picture as that is, every single person of faith at some point has to jump. You have to jump. That there's no other way to, we're going to get into this to another, in another lesson in the series, but the writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's not because he's disappointed. It's because he wants so much more for your life than you even can dream about. But you're only going to get there if you trust him and if you take action. If you do that to the fullest extent. Now, back, Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. This is, this is what the NIV says. This is what the ancients were commended for. And this is where people of faith today get in trouble because it's kind of like Jim talked about with the Lord's Supper, the difference between doing uh, uh, remember this do in remembrance versus remembering to do. And the difference in that sometimes when we read these stories, we go, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I remember Abel. Yeah. And then Noah. Yeah. And then, then Abraham and then Moses. Yep. I remember that VBS story. Yeah. And we kind of just go on autopilot and fill in the blanks, and we forget that there was a moment for them, just like for Tyler, except not at the edge of the swimming pool, sort of at the cliffs of their life, standing and, and reaching to an unseen, maybe even mostly unknown God, and him calling out to them and saying, jump, jump, and them standing there with all the intention in the world, but at some point having to take action. You see, the the Hebrew writer says they were commended for what they did, not for what they intended to do. You ever intend to do something? Maybe you're in the stage of making New Year's resolutions and New Year's goals and all of that. And if you're a type A person, you probably have some of your goals and resolutions from 2019. And look at all the good intentions you had. But the intentions don't mean anything if they're not followed up with action. If you say, well, I, I, I want to lose weight, I want to get healthier. Well, I, I, you know, that's not going to happen unless you change your diet and change your exercise and change your routine. The changes, the actions are where the faith comes into play. So every person of faith has to jump. The moment when you leave absolute, total security and trust God completely and leap. You ever had to leap? Let's go back and revisit some of these ancients and their stories. There was a moment when Abraham jumped. If you want to turn to Genesis chapter 21, Genesis chapter 21 tells us a beautiful story about Abraham and Sarah, then known as Abram. The Lord visited Sarah as he had promised. This is verse 1. Page 19 in the Pew Bible. And the Lord said to Sarah, the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. God called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, which means laughter. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old. 
when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And yet I have borne him a son in his old age. See, God had promised, but Abraham had to jump. They had to trust. They had to act. Now, the story is not there. It, it, there is not over, of course, you understand. And most Bible students do turn one page over. Apparently, much time has elapsed because Isaac is old and older now. He's old enough to reason. He's old enough when he's probably offered a sacrifice and watched his father sacrifice before. He is with his dad. And um, little does he know that this conversation took place between his dad and God. Verse 2, page 20. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on which one of the mountains I shall tell you. Verse 3. This is the action moment. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. Here is Abraham over a hundred years old. With the son, the only son that he has and he loves. God calls him to make a sacrifice. God's standing in the pool. God's holding out his arms. Sacrifice. Now, all parents in here know the agony of the heart with which that Abraham must have been going through. And yet, he did not depend on his feelings. What he did in the moment was to depend completely on his trust in God. And he takes that action. Early the next morning, he rose. And he began to go about making the preparations for the sacrifice. Abraham jumped. Now, if you care to connect the dots of the story, Hebrews chapter 11 will go on to say, this is verse 8, by faith... I misquoted there, but verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. He considered, I love this, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. What it's saying is, the moment that God says, Abraham, sacrifice. In his mind, Abraham instantly sacrifices. Isaac is, is the sacrifice. He will be sacrificed. Abraham has full intention of doing the unthinkable, not because he's a bad dad, but because he's a faithful follower of God. This is hard for us to, to, to understand fully, but, God, but a, the writer of Hebrews says that Abraham reasoned that God could raise him from the dead. This was not a small thing for God. God could do this. It was not a, 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 a big deal. It could happen. And so, as soon as God called him to sacrifice his only son whom he loved, he did. In his mind, he did. 
Now, he didn't go through with the act. God prevented him from that. But in his mind, Isaac was already dead. Because Abraham trusted God enough to obey. You see, that's leaping. That's leaping. That's going to the mountain. Imagine taking your son, going up this mountain, answering the questions. Father, the fire is here. The wood are here. Where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God himself will provide the sacrifice, my son. And that was true in more ways than Isaac understood, and certainly at that point than Abraham understood. The point is, Abraham jumped. He trusted God, arguably with one of the top two things that he loved more than anything else in the world. He jumped. You see, he loved Sarah and he loved Isaac, but he loved God more than both. And he trusted God more than both. And so he jumped. And even though he didn't have to sacrifice his son, he was willing to because he trusted that if God commanded it, even if that meant the death of his only son, God could still raise the dead. I love that. Moses jumped. Exodus chapter 3 and 4 tells the story of Moses shepherding in the wilderness. And when he comes upon this strange sight, the sight is a bush that is burning and yet is not consumed. This is verse 2. And God says to him, verse 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, the cry of the people has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come. Up to this point, I think Moses is saying, all right, sounds good. Yeah, okay, all right, that's fine with me. Verse 10, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And now instantly we have the the holy conjunctions. But, 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 But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring his children out of Egypt? And God says, but I will be with you. You see, Moses had to jump. He had to leave the security of the sheep. He had to leave the security of Jethro. He had to leave the security of all of that and go to what God had called him to do that he himself felt totally, completely unequipped for. And you can read down through the excuses. Lord, I'm not a good speaker. People don't know who I am. I mean, what sign am I supposed to give him? He's got excuse after excuse after excuse. Have you ever been in Moses' spot? I mean, not where you're standing in front of a burning bush, but where God is calling you to do something. God is calling you to act, and all you do instead of act is make excuses. At some point, you've got to stop making excuses, and you have to jump. You have to trust that God is able to take a guy who nobody knows and make him into a guy that Pharaoh will listen to. You have to trust that, that though you have no abilities within yourself, that God is with you and will give you the abilities. You have to trust that the, you have a stuttering problem, that God still formed your tongue and your mouth, and he can work through a stuttering speaker better than a professional speaker ever could. So Moses' words will be the words that will, 
will change Pharaoh's mind. But it wasn't Moses' words. Moses' mouth and his tongue were simply a conduit, you see. God was using them. God doesn't need you to be able. God only needs you to be willing. Maybe God's calling you to do something, to act, to change, to, to, to make some changes in the new year. But in order for that to happen, you have to jump. You have to trust, not yourself, but you have to trust in God to take on the pharaohs of your life. The third ancient I think of when I think of this story of jumping is a woman by the name of Hannah. Hannah was a lovely woman, but she was heartbroken. She was mourning. The scripture says, verse 10 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, this is page 285. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. You know why she was, you know why she was weeping and bitter? Because she had no children. She was barren. Verse 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Hannah would become, though she didn't know it at the time, the mother, the prophet, would install kings and speak to kings and advise kings. Hannah trusted God and acted in accordance with her trust. She prays, she goes to the priest, and Eli the priest says, Go in peace, the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made of him. And she said, Let the Lord, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I've asked for him from the Lord. See, Hannah had to trust, but she also had to jump. She had to believe that God would hear her and answer her, and she had to act accordingly. Abraham, Moses, Hannah, all of them at some point had to jump. But if I can just move out of the pages of this story and step for a moment into the pages of your story. You have to jump as well. You and I have to jump. It, it, is, it is impossible for us to claim faith in God and refuse to jump into his arms. To refuse to trust him. It's one thing to come and to be here and to sit and to worship and to pray and to sing. But in your life, God's still calling you. You can go your whole life going to church and never leave the side of the pool. Resting securely in what's known and what's comfortable and staying right here, right here in my comfort zone. 
And you can live your whole life that way, but you will miss the opportunity of the joy of jumping. Faith is leaping into your father's arms. And at some point, you have to stop being here. And you have to jump. Knowing he'll catch you. Knowing that at first there may be a frantic kind of falling feeling, but he will catch you. And he will hold you close, and he will carry you forward. Faith is leaping. And we can, we can say, all right, Abraham, good job, buddy. Absolutely, amen. We can go to Moses and say, mighty hallelujah. What a faith Moses had to, to, to trust in God and to go before Pharaoh and to lead those people. But there was a moment when Moses had to jump. We can look at Hannah and say, sister, how did you do it? How were you able to trust God through the lowest point of your life? And Hannah would say, and Moses would say, and Abraham would say, you have to jump. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You see, that's the second point. Faith is courageous action. It's non-negotiable. You cannot claim faith In God, if you will not do what he says. We're a thinking people. We study a lot. We read the Bible. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with thinking. But the danger is overthinking. Overthinking is killer. Paralysis by analysis. It kills people and it kills churches. They study things, they they think about things, they analyze things, they talk about things, and they never jump. Thinking is fine, okay? Don't misunderstand me. But overthinking is often underdoing. If you're overthinking things in your life, I can guarantee you you're not taking action in the places where you need to take action. And overthinking is rooted in fear. That's all it is. You can say you're a type A, you can say you're an overanalyzer, you like to think about things, but people who overthink and underdo are afraid. Afraid to take action. They're standing just like Tyler on the edge of the pool, ready to jump, but never jumping. If you're overthinking it, you're underdoing it. Courageous action is part of what faith means. You don't have true faith in God, and hear me now, You don't have true faith in God unless and until you do what he asks. I didn't say that. James said that. And I know on Sunday morning, 9 a.m., Bible class, we're finishing up our study of James. And the study has been insightful. But James gets to this point where he says, listen, we got to stop talking about it. We need to start doing it. Look what James says in James chapter 2, verse 17. Page 1292 in this Bible, if if you're trying to follow along. Page Uh, James chapter 2, verse 17. Very simple. So also faith, by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith is trusting in God and courageously doing what he said. You can, if I could ask you here, in fact, let's just do that. Let's have an interactive part of the sermon, okay? Ready? Please raise your hand 
if you trust in God. This would be the time when all hands would go up and you're, yeah. Okay, good. But that's not faith. Faith is trusting in God, saying, yes, I trust in God, and doing what he said. Jesus preached the best sermon ever gave. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of that sermon, he said, there's two types of people in this audience. And he told a story. Turn to Luke chapter 6. We'll go to Luke's account of it. Luke chapter 6. As we get part of the end of the sermon, he says this. This is page 1107, Luke chapter 6, starting verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. That's important that we understand. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus isn't just telling a cute little story that we'd remember for years and years at VBS. He's making a point. He's saying, listen, and this applies this morning as well, there are two types of people in this audience. There are those who are going to hear the sermon, maybe even fill out the outline, and then they're going to put it in their Bible, Pack it away, lay the Bible on the shelf, leave it there for a week, lather, rinse, and repeat. And never jump. Jesus says, that's a foolish builder. He's building on sand because he's not putting into practice what I've just told you to do. But he said, there's other people who will take this and read it and study it and think about it and write it down. And then they'll say, you know what? I need to jump. And Jesus says, that person is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, who dug down deep. You see, the only difference between the wise and the foolish builders is not their homes. Jesus is saying they both heard the word of God, but the difference is the application, the courageous action. My question is, are you acting in a way that shows God that you trust him? Are you building on a solid rock? Are you building on the sinking sand? Which one are you? In in a church audience especially, there are two types of people who build on the solid rock, who apply what Jesus taught, and those who build on the sand and only apply what's convenient, only apply what I agree with. But Jesus said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. Ah, Jesus, you don't really know my enemies. I mean... Now, if they'd come apologize to me and grovel before my feet, then I would. Jesus said, do you trust me? Then jump. May we understand that the difference between the wise and the foolish builder is not in what they heard, but in what they did. The same is true with us this morning. The difference is not in what you hear. The difference is what you do with what you hear. It all comes down to what you do. Faith is absolute trust in God. 
And we have every reason in the world to have absolute trust in God. But we do not fully have absolute trust in God until we take what we have here and jump. It's not just hearing the word. It's doing it and living it and sharing it. That's faith fully. Faith comes down to one thing, and that's trusting your father. This morning, I want to ask you, do you trust your father? I want to read for you one one final command from Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Jesus, at the end of his ministry, tells the apostles uh, to go out into the world, and he says this, Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Uh, Start verse 15. He said to them, this is page 1096. He said to them, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. You see, that's a very simple thing. You can read it. You can understand it. You can write it down. You can make an outline. We could have a whole sermon series over that those two verses. But it means nothing unless we do it. This morning I'll ask you, have you believed and been baptized as Jesus commanded you to do? If you haven't done that, what are you waiting for? Do you trust him? Oh, I believe him, absolutely. I know he said, well, then are you doing what he said? And if you've done that, then my next question is, are you living by faith? Are you trusting in him fully and completely? The question is to you. The lesson is yours. If you have a need now to obey Christ, to put on Christ, or to begin changing your life and walking by faith fully, our shepherds will be down front to meet you, encourage you, pray with you as best they can. We're here to help you in any way. Whatever your need might be, let's begin this morning as together we stand and sing.